Hey, lemmings and germs, thanks for tuning in to the World is My Burrito podcast, where I take a pop culture topic of my choice, unwrap it just a little, review the ingredients, add a little bit of my own homemade brain salsa to spice it up, then wrap it up, pack it in. Now, let us begin. I want to start this off by saying, if you've made it this far, coming from my advertisement and episode zero, you truly are the twin bee's knees. Some pre-episode shoutouts to those of you who listened to the original super secret recording of this episode in July. Thanks for your input. This episode has been adjusted and re-recorded. Another shout out to local artist and friend Edbot5000, who is the reason I have amazing art and lettering for my podcast. I hired him for his style, gave him almost nothing to go on, and he came back with some unbelievably appropriate content that exceeded my expectations. Today on Twimby, I'm going to learn you about Tororo by Osamu Tezuka. This is not to be confused with My Neighbor Totoro or Tonari no Totoro, the Miyazaki Studio Ghibli animated film. This book was chosen as part of a foundation to help you better understand a larger episode to come. I'm reading from the 2012 release from Vertical containing the entire collection in one volume, a whopping 839 pages. Even if you remove the chapter pages, it's still 820 pages of content. Some history of the title. Like many of his heroes and heroines, the origin of Dororo can be traced to the aftermath of post-bombed Japan. The story was inspired by the orphaned and maimed children that a young Tezuka saw while he was wandering through the streets of post-war Tokyo. The title comes from one of our lead characters' names, Dororo, which was inspired by a child's mispronunciation of the Japanese word for thief, Dorobo. A quick note on publishing... Originally serialized in Shukan Shonen Sunday from 1967 to 1968, cancelled, then concluded in Bolken O in 1969. This story is set sometime during the Sengoku Jidai, or Warring States era, basically a battle royale civil war, which lasted from the 1400s to the 1600s. No burrito is complete without salsa, so here is my hot take. I would definitely recommend this to anyone looking for something fun. The art style is very detailed, with some stunning landscapes, but the characters are kept very friendly. The plot is minimal and only exists to purvey the journey. Any adult will see where the plots are going before they arrive. There are demons, ghouls, plenty of blood, and though not anywhere close to something like Blade of the Immortal, a surprising amount of cold-hearted violence for a children's story, albeit maybe not a big deal for children who survive World War II. Tezuka's love of film and stage theater resound through the book. This is basically Kurosawa for kids. If you don't want this burrito spoiled, you better put this episode back in the fridge, because duh, I'm covering the book. Not everything will be spoiled, but one of the things is a huge plot point. I'm going to narrate the first chapter because it's a pretty strong example of the remaining content. Our story begins on a dark and stormy night. We see a large monastery, perfectly fitted into frame, with a single barely visible figure standing atop the steps. We look up from the perspective of the steps to a priest who speaks to the lower half of a kimono. Lord Daigo, I have been waiting for you. The priest calmly leads this man, who is hidden by shadow and camera angles, down a raised path. From a distance behind, you see the two approaching a small building, Lightning flashes, illuminating a close-up sign. Jigokudo. Hell Hall. Let's run through the exposition a little quicker. So, 
Hell Hall contains 48 statues, each allegedly containing a demon as mentioned by the priest. Daigo asks to be left alone, then tells the statues how he wants to rule the land and entire country by any means necessary, offering the statues anything they want in exchange. From nowhere, a baby mouse drops to the floor, indicating the demon's wish for a child offering. As is tradition, Daigo offers his unborn child due in two days. To seal the deal, they strike him with lightning inside the building, leaving an angled, cross-shaped scar on his forehead. When Daigo awakes, a shadow runs from the hall entrance. The priest returns. Daigo suspects he heard the deal, then kills him with his katana, drags him into the open, sticks the hilt end of the sword into his chest. A bolt of lightning then strikes the blade, setting the priest on fire, reducing him to ash. Back to narration. The sun is set high in the sky, a busy city street, a mother bird delivering food to its young. Another young bird flies over a riverside residence. That bird suddenly crashes into the water, struggling to escape. A woman's scream lets out as you see the bird drown. A second scream lets out as two midwives run from the building. Daigo enters the building, speaks with his wife, looks upon the unholy swaddled thing that was just born. He then begins to laugh nervously as he realizes the offering has been accepted. His plans to murder the child then and there are thwarted by his pleading wife, who convinces him to send their child down a river in a basket with no hope of survival. This is chapter one. Super cheery. Chapter 2 really opens up the remainder of the book by quickly introducing our protagonists, the time period, and lore of the world. Some clarification, the words demon and ghoul seem interchangeable in the book, so for the sake of clarity, ghouls are weaker spirits that do not benefit Hyakimaru, whereas demons can. If you couldn't tell by now, this is also a yokai or spirit monster manga. There is even a reference to creator Shigeru Mizuki, who was a popular yokai creator of the time. The characters. Our first character is the teenage Hyakimaru, the result of the deal with the 48 demons. He was born missing 48 body parts, including limbs, belly button, eyes, nose, hair, ears, vocal cords, etc. A skilled doctor saved this swaddled monstrosity and decided to raise it. Before long, the infant thing could speak telepathically. Time happens, he reaches teenhood, and is given both aesthetic prosthetics, like eyes and ears, and weaponized prosthetics, like a sword hidden in either arm. For every demon he kills, a body part is restored. At the beginning of the book, we learn he has already killed 15 demons. His intro is straight baller reminiscent of the classic samurai scene of the well-trained swordsman versus a group of unsuspecting bandits. Hyakimaru's motive is nothing more than to defeat demons to regain his remaining body parts. The second character is the child Dororo. We quickly learn he is a thief and an orphan. He is saved by Hyakimaru, then claims he will follow Hyakimaru in order to steal one of his arm swords. Later, we discover he is a child of a famous, honorable thief who sought to fight against the samurai. Later, later, we discover that Dororo is actually a female, which explains a very few confusing scenes earlier in the story, as well as a very early line in the book where Hyakimaru tells Dororo to stop using a weird voice. Dororo's motivation is to become a legendary thief like his father, and looks up to Hyakimaru because of his strength and willingness to face adversity. 
We are provided with more in-depth backstory for each character throughout the book. Dororo's is the least two-dimensional and leads both characters on a journey with a very different goal. The tales that follow are primarily that of our characters wandering the countryside while continuously world-building. Based during the period it is, there are many stories involving hatred or distrust towards the samurai class. Without delving into every story, there are very straightforward tales fighting samurai, as well as a great story about samurai building a wall between two unified towns, instigating hate-filled xenophobia between the once-connected village. There are also tales involving distrustful village leaders. Demons abound through all these tales and are brought about in many ways and cause many effects. Wherever our heroes go, there either is or will soon be a unique demon, and there is always a unique history to that location and people. By the end, the story halts but does not truly resolve. The final page has a very vague implication that Hyakimaru might have accomplished his goal, but Dororo is left completely open. This is due in part to Tezuka losing interest, as well as the publisher forcing a quick ending. During my research, I found that one of Tezuka's planned endings revolved around a new idea that Dororo was born with Hyakimaru's body parts, and the only way to become truly whole would be to kill Dororo. This story is said to resolve in the PS2 game Blood Will Tell. Some of my favorite ingredients in no particular order. After so many hours perusing through the manga, it is truly difficult to pick only one story, but chapters 11 and 12, Sabame and Hellscreen respectively, were my favorites. These chapters are lengthy and contain a lot of moving parts with many turns, so even a brief description will only be confusing. I tried, it didn't work out. But there are equal parts sad and intriguing circumstances that take you into a little bit of a mystery, new types of ghouls and demons, additional characters, an unexpected love story, a great retribution, a surprising change of face, and the constant reminder that our two characters may forever be wanderers. Now, let's rewind to that intro real quick. The panels spent in Jigokudo become disorienting. Even though it seems like Daigo is clearly facing one direction, each panel brings new statues, and each statue brings new expressions and positions. It's this cool moment where the character seems unaware of the changing surroundings, appearing uniform to him while the reader is privy to a forming plot. I could totally see this in a modern film setting, with like the plastic fisheye lens and crazy angles furthering the distortion. Some trivia, the main character was originally supposed to be Dororo. Tezuka set out with the knowledge that children would be inspired by a character their age and similar wily disposition. But they ended up taking a greater liking to Hyakimaru, who became the main focus of the series. It doesn't help that Hyakimaru is introduced as a total badass, while Dororo, though useful throughout the story, is introduced as a little bitch who is getting the ever-loving tar beat out of her by villagers. Being that Dororo never reaches the plateau of physical prowess atop which Hyakimaru sits, I genuinely don't blame the kids. It becomes very clear very quickly that this manga is made by someone who greatly appreciated film, a vision that permeates through so many aspects of the book. Movement is what shines the most in this book. Tezuka loved movement because it represented life. The beauty of Dororo's action comes from Tezuka frequently guiding you through events by using more, smaller panels on each page containing details in minutia rather than one panel projecting an action as a whole and letting your brain fill in the blank. These are very tight, very concise images that are used to convey action, 
basic movement, the flow of water, or breeze. Where mini manga may use between one to three panels to provide action-based information, Dororo very often uses 9 to 11. Tezuka did not have 24 frames per second in which to work, but this entire piece of work is clearly a living thing. Something I didn't expect to say, cinematography. Tezuka knows what aspect ratio will give you the most emotional attachment, and how to dynamically handle a camera. There's one event which begins right side up, then you turn the page and the largest panel is flipped on its side. The following smaller panels on that page then slowly rotate clockwise until you are upside down, adding great effect to what just happened. Cuts and transitions. Tezuka knows how to cut film. There are a few instances where our perspective, distance, and panel size never change, but there is a circular zoom while our hero walks away to end the scene. There's one really slick transition where a character pours water over himself, which melts the next 10 panels into the sweat of his own brow for a flashback. Lighting. Most of this is very evenly lit, but there are two instances where the panel is primarily black, except where weapons make contact, lighting the weapons and facial expressions of the wielders. Lastly, there are a variety of fun creatures, including, but not limited to, waraji or Japanese flip-flops, Dog, grass, pollution, fox spirits, giant babies, tumors that are faces, a sword, just the sword, moth people, a horse, gamera, sharks, and the Japanese chimera, Nue. It's very clear that this was also written by someone with a great sense of humor. There's an ox cart with a license plate in one scene. There's a fake horse amongst a troop of warriors. Hyakimaru was given manga at a young age to learn Japanese, and at one point there is a very obvious two-stage play. This may have a lot of deeper themes and violence, but Tezuka clearly did it all with love. Time for some pest control, because no taco truck is perfect. My only real complaint with this is how quickly some of the stories and emotional situations resolve. But for the sake of it being a manga that was released once a week, I guess I can understand things needing to be cut short just to move on to the next story. Publication history and accolades. Other forms of media include an anime adaptation in 1969, a video game for the PS2 in 2004 titled Blood Will Tell, a live-action film in 2007, a new anime series in 2019, which can be found on Amazon Prime, a still-active, re-illustrated manga which began in 2018, and two episodes of a motion manga on Crunchyroll released in 2009. Of these, I've only watched the motion manga, which is exactly how I would make a video of my narrated intro if I were to do that thing. Gathering resources is expensive, so I'll eventually get around to the rest and maybe touch on them in a later episode. In 2009, Dororo won the Eisner Award in the Best U.S. Edition of International Material, Japan Division. I think that wraps up everything I need to say about the book and hope it piqued your interest. Now it's time for Nacho Business, where I talk about my goings-on and recommendations, because it's my business, Nacho's. I've recently been playing Dragon Quest XI, it's aight, definitely a children's game, don't worry about grinding because everything will die in probably fewer than 10 rounds. I've also gotten on Ghost of Tsushima, which is absolutely phenomenal. If you are a fan of the Tenchu series uh, back in the PlayStation 2 days and prior, 
I would absolutely recommend this. Everything about it is good so far. I've just gotten slightly into Act 2. The lead up to Act 2 is phenomenal. The story thus far is phenomenal, but nothing compares to the assassination mechanics. Uh, It takes a lot of time to kind of really feel the game out. The game honestly takes a lot of time to tell you how the game works. I have kind of a love-hate with that, but honestly, the longer I play, the more I feel like their lack of info up front really helps. Uh, I don't know if you've ever played a game before where they give you like an hour worth of stuff that you will literally never use for like, I don't know, the first five to ten hours of gameplay. And then by the time you get around to it, you've just forgotten how that function works anymore. Uh, So solid game, uh, Legends mode, not played a ton of it, only done survival. It's pretty basic, but again, still rewarding when you shoot someone in the head from like over 100 yards away. I've been reading the Ultraman comic from Marvel. No surprise to anyone who knows me. So far, I've only read issues one and two. They are genuinely pleasant and feel like the first episode of any Ultraman series. Uh, They do have a mention of Ultra Q, which kind of floored me. I was not expecting that in an American comic. I've also been keeping up with Ultraman Z on the Tsubiraya Productions YouTube channel, and I gotta admit, there is something in every episode that either genuinely impresses me or elicits an emotional response. As for future episodes, I intend to have these available by Monday morning so you can start your week the healthy way with my mouth in your ears. If you've experienced Dororo via any medium, uh, the anime I mentioned, the video game, uh, the manga, whether it be old or new, let me know. Uh, Let me know what your thoughts were on any of it. Um, And if you do end up checking out this book because of my recommendation, let me know on any future episode. Again, you can find me at Twimby Podcast on all forms of social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And you can reach me at TwimbyPodcast at gmail.com. Keep an eye open in two weeks when I release an episode on another Tezuka production, The Book of Human Insects. I don't have a sign-off.